This is Scott Greenia from Fairfax, Vermont, also known as Scotty the Q, and you're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Start the game! Let's go! We'll do it live. Okay. Well, do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike your match, and... Oh. Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. It is a show that talks about all things that are important to the world of barbecue and grilling. Where do we do it from? Why? None other than the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio. Dare I say the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I will dare to say it because I know it is. I'm your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday or in your podcast pleasure. If you want to jump in live tonight, more than happy to have you. A phone call is such, 216-220-0966. If you would prefer to join me through email, this is how you do that. You can get in touch with the show by sending an email to greg at bbqcentralshow.com. Or on the Twitter and Instagrams at BBQ Central Show. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com, which includes video replays and audio replays of this show and also how to subscribe to the podcast. Here's what's coming up in case you didn't get the newsletter in about 12 minutes from now, maybe 13. It is the second Tuesday of the month. As I said last week, 2018 is rapidly coming to a close. And the creator of the most heavily trafficked barbecue and grilling website will join me to talk turkey because the next two weeks of shows certainly will be laden with Thanksgiving talk. We do it this time each and every year because we're constantly getting an influx of new listeners. The beginners are now stepping up into the intermediate areas. The intermediates are now stepping up into the expert areas. The experts are now attaining pit master-like status, but we all get a little nervous. We all get a little tempted when it comes to the turkey stuff. So we have two, count them, two experts to come on and help you this week. Next week, we have internet and social media celebrities to give their takes as well. So coming up in about 12 minutes from now, none other than Meathead from AmazingRibs.com. You know him, you love him. He loves to answer questions. He's all about helping his audience and my audience be more proficient and efficient. Live fire cookers in every regard. He will be in his normal one-hour segment, so 9.14, 9.35. Then we'll move to the second hour. By the way, Meathead Goldwyn, newly inducted into the Barbecue Central Show Guest Hall of Fame under the recurring moniker. My guest in the second hour while he may or may not know it, is also newly inducted into the Barbecue Central Show's Guest Hall of Fame. 
under the semi-recurring moniker. Embedded correspondents, please take note as we begin voting for 2019's class of in, or induction class. We're going to do away with the categories. We're just going to pick like three or five people that we like. We will debate, and then we'll end up putting those people in that we feel fit. If we need to renominate some extra ones, something along these lines, we'll do that. But we're going to do away with the categories right off the bat. I want to fall into the same trap that the Barbecue Hall of Fame in Kansas got into. We will be doing away with the categories. John, if you're listening, please make note so uh, we all can talk about this, you and the ECs and myself. But I digress. Talking turkey, talking not not tacos. Talking about if you watched his Halloween video with a butter poached steak, you would know him as Sam the Cooking Guy, aka in real life Sam Zion. But he did it as Paula Dean, a butter poached steak and Hasselback potato. I think that was a Hasselback potato. Full Paula Dean garb. I have pictures. We will get to that in the second hour as well. We will also possibly do side by side. So you can really see how much he did or did not look like Paula Dean, but Sam, the cooking guy, in for the second hour. So there you go. 216-220-0966. Greg at the BBQ Central Show.com. Please, if you're not already, follow me on the social media platforms. Instagram, I'm pretty active on at BBQ Central Show, also on the Twitter. At BBQ Central Show. Facebook has this feed, live video, also a bunch of different breaking news announcements or fun facts or things that I just want to share. So if you're on Facebook, give me a slash, then BBQ Central Show, and then follow me. Under the news thing, hit show first, and that way if I update something new, it will show right up in your news feed right on top, and that's the way we want it. Breaking news for you, from me to you. All right, let me roll through these special mentions. First and foremost, let me recognize a Pitmaster Championship Award winning, a hugely successful barbecue restaurateur in the mile-high city of Denver, Colorado. He's been on this show a number of times. We actually tracked his opening of his very first GQ barbecue restaurant from concept to a few months in to a few years in, now he's doing gangbusters, of course. Recently voted it to the Rocky Mountain Barbecue Association Hall of Fame. I do want to recognize new Hall of Famer to RMBBQA and friend of show, pitmaster of GQ Barbecue and owner of the same restaurant name, Jason Ganahl. Congratulations, Jason. Well earned. How's that ice cream place coming? Let's catch up. Let's do that sooner than later. Also, podcast programming note, if you didn't know because you don't follow me anywhere on social media or you don't visit my website day-to-day, which you should just in case, the Michael Simon interview is in the feed. Released this morning. So if you've been off your phone all day or you're just getting into social media or a combination of both, it is there ready for you to check out at your leisure. Again, this was released as bonus content into the feed. So if you noticed your phone had something new for me today and you don't normally get something for me on Tuesdays, except a live show from 9 to 11, but this was here to greet you in the morning with a sunny, how you do? 
check it out. I am interested to hear your feedback on this specific bonus content. This is something that I had been chasing literally for years through social media. The longest running joke of the show, as my friend John Dawson had said in communications off air this afternoon, the longest running inside joke was me getting Michael Simon on the show, how I couldn't leverage Doug Tratner, his writer, Michael Simon's writer, to get me Michael Simon on the show. Instead, through the use of Twitter and through just a, a pass-through from my Pittsburgh brother, Doug Durda, away we had it. And 48 hours or less, we went from scheduling something to last Tuesday, me sitting down with Michael Simon in person, right at Mabel's Barbecue and laying it down. So I thought the interview ended up being really well put together. I added a front and a back to it, so it's in full form in the podcast feed. Check it out. Some feedback from that interview, email from Mark Castle. Excellent interview with Michael Simon. Sounded like you were old friends getting caught up. Thanks for your efforts in pulling this one off, Mark. Also, text message from neighbor Desmond. My guy, I truly enjoyed and appreciated your interview with my GM, Simon. Great job, Desi. Again, neighbor Desmond, for your listening pleasure. Also, just a comment that I grabbed from the Instagrams from the Backyard BBQ Chef. I just finished listening to your podcast with Chef Simon. And man, was it a great one. I think we all fall into the habit of seeing celebrity chefs on TV and forgetting that before they got where they are, they paid their dues, worked their asses off. It was great hearing his journey and seeing him pull back the curtain a bit for the fans. Now I want to take a road trip to Cleveland and visit his barbecue restaurant. Well, the Backyard BBQ Chef, if you make it to Cleveland, I will come with you to Mabel's. I might even buy Every time Daniel Vaughn comes to town, it seems I'm the one that's buying. Right, Daniel? Jeez. Big famous guy like him having the local guy buy. How about that? So that's just a smattering of initial reaction to the Michael Simon interview. If you like it, if you're on Twitter or if you're on Instagram and you are replying back to one of the two posts that ended up going up today, make sure you tag him and tell him that you like the interview that will perhaps heighten the chance that I will get another interview in the future. A lot of people were asking for me to post the picture of Michael Simon and myself. You know what? I'm not that guy. I don't think, here's somebody famous, let me first get a picture. That's never on the top of my mind. So I never asked him for a picture. I didn't even think about it until today when somebody was like, post the picture. I think it was Steve from Tennessee. Post the picture. I don't have a picture. I never asked. Didn't even think about it. Now, if I meet somebody like Howard Stearns, yo, how? I might ask for a picture. All right, Meathead coming up out of the break. Let me talk to you quickly about the barbecue guru. You know, they've always believed that outdoor cooking should be easy. You know why? Because it can be, especially with the Monolith Barbecue Guru Edition Grill. The Monolith is the world's first temperature-controlled smoker with a built-in power draft fan. This means smarter control and greater freedom with automatic temperature control. Easily choose your cooking time and temperature. Let the Monolith do the work of a sous chef or a barbecue pitmaster. With minimal effort, 
You now have oven-like precision at the grill. You can serve the tastiest, juiciest meals each and every time. And here's the kicker. If you have been a longtime fan of the Barbecue Guru, if you have a controller and you want to, and you're wondering, do I need to buy a new controller if I buy this monolith? The answer simply is no. All you have to do is take the controller, run it down to the fan, already built in there. You're off and running. Now, if you want to upgrade the tech or you've been looking to get a new brain on that, certainly your prerogative. You go to the website, bbqguru.com, or you call them 800-288-GURU. That's 800-288-GURU. If you have any questions, make sure you answer. I'm sorry. Make sure you ask them. They will answer. Nobody wants a customer with buyer's remorse. They want to answer all of your questions fully, so you're up and running right out of the box. Again, the website, bbq guru.com or call 800-288-GURU. Check out the monolith. With all of the other Kamado-style cookers out there right now, I don't know if there's a name brand out there that comes not only with a great, decent-sized cooker with a nest and shelves, but a lot of other accessories, well, a lot of feature, a lot of value add. Plus, longest-running sponsor of the show, right? Help them out. All right, we're back with Meathead, Turkey Talk, amongst some other things. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central show right here on the Barbecue Central Network. Stick around. We'll be right back. Live from the Barbecue Central Show Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. This portion of the show being brought to you by Butcher Barbecue, makers of award-winning injections, marinades, rubs, seasonings, barbecue sauces, grilling oils. All of Butcher Barbecue products have been tested not only on the competition circuit, but in the backyards worldwide to a fanfare of success. Be the pitmaster of your neighborhood. And visit the website to stock up, butcherbbq.com. That's butcherbbq.com. Always trust your butcher. All right, joining me now in his normal second Tuesday of the month spot the creator of the most heavily trafficked barbecue and grilling website on the face of the earth. None other than my buddy and everybody's buddy, Meathead from AmazingRibs.com. Meathead, how are you? I'm great. Greg, how's the the Centralites today? Everybody is doing great. We are uh, rocking and rolling as we are heading ever so feverishly to 2018 Thanksgiving, if you can believe we have another one on the docket. Do I have a different camera angle from you this time? Yeah, I'm yeah, down, you're I'm down about to the right. To fix that. Yeah. Uh, oh. Skype has picked the wrong camera. Oh, it's always Skype. Believe me, nobody knows the trials and tribulations of Skype more yeah. than me. So, um, before we get into turkey talk, meathead, and as you are uh, getting through your technical hurdles, uh, let's talk a little bit about 
book business and uh, updates uh-huh. so uh-huh. we can kind of go there kinda get you? those okay. you know you're in the process of writing the second book following up on that huge success of meathead the science of great barbecue and grilling which is uh, just niftily off your back right shoulder there uh, where is the project right now <laughs> um by the way i just got you know this dovetails in i just got right. the um, royalty statement um for sales up through june now here it is November. Yes. Book publishing industry is so arcane, so aggravating. They pay royalties twice a year and they pay in October in theory. I didn't get my check till November. <laughs> and they pay through June. Now this is 2018. Yes. You would think that they could pay you every month. You know, computers, they I, I presume they got computers at big publishing houses. I hope. I, I, basically, they ask the author to bankroll their business. I mean, they're, they're on the float. Six months of book sales between June and uh, now. Well, not quite six months, five months, but right through the summer season, my busy season. Um, and they're pocketing all the, uh, all the royalties. Plus, these little the, the sons of guns... They are, now the book sold 150,000 copies. Wow. They are holding $38,000 in royalties in case bookstores return the book. Now the book is still clipping along nicely and it's going to clip along for years. It's you know, it's an evergreen book. It's going to sell well. Um they're not going to be returns and there's certainly not going to be many of them. Um, but they're going to hold thir- again. I'm bankrolling them. Thirty-eight grand in my royalties. They're holding in case somebody returns the books. Really? So it's really an aggravate. The industry hasn't progressed since Dickens' time, and it, it it's really frustrating because every other industry has been altered by the internet. I mean, starting with retail book sales, Amazon. Destroyed the retail book sales model, but the publishing model remains relatively untouched. And it's time for somebody to kick them in the butt. And um, I'm going to do my little bit. We have decided that we are no longer going to work with Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. Now, that's a pretty big publisher, one of the big ones. They, uh, They published the book last time. They did a nice job. Although they never knocked on the doors of any of the hardware stores or the places, they do nowadays. If you want to publish a book, the very first question they ask you is, "Do you have a platform?" Which is code for, "Can you sell the book for us?" <laughs> now, AmazingRibs.com is clearly a platform. Sure. You know, average three million page views a month last year. Um, we got sixteen thousand members of our Pitmaster Club, right. one hundred twenty-five thousand subscribers uh, on Facebook and newsletters. So we have a mechanism to sell the book. They love that. If you're brilliant and you know a subject top to bottom, but you don't have a platform, they're not answering the door when you knock. Yes, but it's not your responsibility, Meathead, to market the book. If yeah, they're is. if they're charging you to write a reference, 
you shouldn't have to also be Meathead director of sales. You have to be <laughs> Meathead the author. That's the way it works now. I make around three bucks a copy. They sell it for thirty-five. Yes. It costs them about five bucks to print it. And how many copies have sold so far? One hundred fifty. All right. Hold on a second. Let me get out my calculator. Do the Quick. Okay. Well, all right. Let's all right. The, here let's, we go. Here we go. Of the numbers. Uh, just a round it's number. I have the number right here. Print it. And they pay me three bucks. Yes. And they, let's give them another couple of bucks or three bucks for overhead and right. shipping. So let's at bet at most say it's costing them fifteen bucks. All right. Uh, they're they're wholesaling it. They're retailing it for thirty five. Wholesale is forty percent off of that. Um, there there there's a big markup on this thing. Um, and and so what we have decided to do is we're going to self-publish. Really? Yes. Um, the the publishing and it, you know, it used to be called Vanity Press. Somebody who wanted to publish a book, and usually Vanity Press was guys who wrote poetry, or you know, daddy bloggers who wrote about barbecue, right? Who wanted to be famous, but they couldn't get in the door. They don't have a platform. The publisher's not going to right. Well, you, you, quit laughing. well, look, I mean, here's uh, the, here's the thing, right? I mean, you are leading up to it. And one of my follow up questions, uh, as you mentioned, that you were going to be self publishing, is isn't there some kind of a stigma attached to self-publishing, like, I really can't get a real book deal. I mean, obviously you can, you had one, and you've decided right. to opt out, but, I mean, do you worry that there isn't going to be that big of, a, of an exposure, or do you specifically credit the success of the first book to the vehicle that is Meathead and has nothing to do, really, with the publisher? No, it was both. I mean, Hope Mifflin did a did a good job. What really percentage was you, and what percentage was the publisher? Were you seventy well, percent? Were you eighty percent? We hired a great public relations agent, but they made me split the price fifty fifty. Hmm. Um, their sales team, as near as I can tell, never called on a single hardware store. Um, so I don't know. I know that Amazon sold fifty five thousand copies. Yeah. So how much of that was Houghton Mifflin's work? Um, it's it's hard to say. I'm going to gut it out. I'm going to go on my own. And if anybody says, well, what's the matter? Couldn't you get a publishing deal? I will be able to say it was a New York Times bestseller. The last book sold 150. We're going on our own. We're going to help break the publishing model. I'm just sick and tired of it. Plus, there's all this creative stuff like... We have a name. We have a concept. I'm writing a book with a concept. The name of the book is called The Meathead Method, Barbecue Science Meets Art. Now, I happen to have a master's degree in art, and I really want to take the science that we built the last book on and merge it with the concepts of what is art. I want to talk about culinary art. I want people to come outside of the regular brisket and ribs and pulled pork and we have some really fascinating recipes, some fun recipes with some interesting ingredients that are not normally part of the barbecue world. I also want to talk about art like we did about science. And I want to break some new ground. And um, I was running into some pushback from the uh, from the editors. So, um, and I don't know if you've seen, but I'm really doing some... I've really upped my photography game. Yes. All the photographs in the last book, 400 photographs in the last book, were mine. I'd grade them C, C plus. 
I'm doing B plus photography now. There's some gorgeous photographs coming down the pike, and I'm doing it with a really unique photographic technique. And um, I, I, I I just have a vision for the book, and I'm gonna make it happen on my own. All right. So, you know, when you were with the publishing company, they were pretty heavy on the on the timelines and the deadlines and stuff. Now that you're self publishing, do you? Can you extract yourself from Meathead's body and say, well, now that I'm self-publishing, timelines are out the window and, you know, this no. book could take 15 years to get out? Are you worried about that? <laughs> I hope I'm not. worried about it. I, I'm now going through the process. I just I, I went to Houghton Mifflin about three weeks ago and I said I'd like to like to break the contract. I mean, they had paid me in advance mm-hmm. and we had a contract and we negotiated uh, an out. And um, uh, it was done in a gentlemanly fashion. Were they surprised? Uh, Pardon? Were they surprised that you asked out? It didn't seem like they were Mm. too surprised. We were struggling philosophically. um, And uh, um, they know that I understand the publishing business. And so whatever. Um, I so I'm working on a schedule now. I'm trying to get budgets. I'm trying to get bids from printers, and uh, we'll see. We'll oh. see. All right, Meathead is self-publishing. That's what we have come to find out here, right at the top of the show, the second book. Um, so Thanksgiving, uh, Thanksgiving is coming up here. Uh, it'll be a week from Thursday. I can't believe. It. First things first. If we have the option, Fresh Bird always correct. No. No, absolutely not. Not Fresh Bird. No, really? no. Why not? Well, well, first of all, that Fresh Bird is not likely to be really fresh. All right. It may. It it just hasn't been frozen. So they've killed the bird maybe a month ago. They and you know feathered it and everything and uh-huh. and put it in a bag and they've just kept it cold. I would rather have a won't, bird that's killed. It won't go bad. Frozen, fresh. It won't go bad after a month of just being held and not frozen. It can, yes, it can yes. get funky. Fat can start going rancid. Bacteria. Well, I mean, if it's kept cold, it's not going to be a bacteria problem. But fat can start changing. The flavors can change and alter. Um, it, it's like fish. I mean, ideally, you want a really fresh piece of fish that right. was just caught today or yesterday. Right. But if you can't get that, getting one that is frozen fresh so that it's all captured fresh and then defrosted is is next best. I think the same is true for turkey. Hmm. Now, the other thing is that's interesting is a turkey can be kept at 26 degrees and still be called fresh. Oh. Now, that's well below 32 fro- freezing, <laughs> and at 26 degrees, it's hard as a friggin' rock. Right. It's a bowling ball. Uh, but uh, the, the, the industries have lobbied to make it clear that – so what happens is, is they label it fresh, they ship it to the grocer, and then he defrosts it, puts it on the shelf. It's soft and tender, and yep. you think it's a fresh kill. Hmm. I mean, look at turkey. 90% of the turkeys are purchased – in the two weeks before Thanksgiving. Of course. I mean, turkey's wonderful all year round, but people just don't cook it for the 4th of July. They don't cook it for um, Valentine's Day. So these 
turkey slaughterhouses. They raise the turkeys and they start slaughtering and they start running the slaughtering system as quickly as they can weeks in advance. Um, most of them are frozen, but a lot of those fresh birds are not as fresh as you think. I would rather buy a fresh frozen bird. All right. Can you give me some type of a depth chart on if you have this big of a frozen bird, this is how many days in advance you need to get it into the thaw? Yeah, there's some numbers on that. I've got I've got a big article on turkey on AmazingRibs.com, as you might suspect. There's a link to it right on our homepage. Go to the homepage. It's called The Ultimate Turkey, and it's almost the size of a small book. It talks about all of this, how many pounds take, you know, how long it takes to defrost a 20-pound bird or 30-pound bird, whatever. Just rule of thumb, start your defrost over the weekend. It's a Thursday meal. Start defrosting Friday, Saturday, Sunday at the latest. Defrost it in the fridge. It should be fine by Thursday. I'm going to start defrosting mine on Friday. Then it, if, it's, if it's thawed out by Wednesday, I'm okay. Hmm. When it's thawed, when you're starting the prep, a lot of people have that internal instinct to get the bird out of the paper, pull the guts out, not guts, but the jiglets and the... Mm-hmm. neck and all that crap and then they get it right underneath the sink and they open up that faucet and they give it a good bath or a rinse ah, down. you know about this yeah. don't what you? Do you, yeah. what do you i know you you hate that i know we've talked about it with chicken of course but same would apply to, to any type of poultry i don't hate it because it's really hard to resist rinsing meat after it comes out of the plastic any meat but the research people have proven and it makes sense when you think about it you take a turkey or a chicken or even a pork chop and you put it under the faucet and it gets hit with a, a, a solid stream of water. It's running pretty hard and it spatters. Now, most of that spatter is captured in the sink, but some of it is invisible. It aerosolizes. It's little tiny droplets and it goes flying around the room. And right next to the sink is your dish drain where you put clean dishes after you've washed them. But now they've got turkey spatter on them. We know that poultry is really susceptible to bacteria during the slaughter and processing process. Salmonella most in particular. There's other bugs that get in there. And if you kill it, if you cook it properly, they're all dead. So there's no risk to poultry if you cook it properly. But if you undercook it or if you spatter salmonella from the bird on your dish drain and then you put clean dishes in it, now you're doing cross-contamination. So the scientists tell us, don't wash your bird. Just take it out. And even though it may feel a little slimy, just don't worry about it. Don't do it. Can you? It's can really you bust hard out? to resist. I know that I know this rule. And if that bird's slimy, I'm going to still resist. I can't resist. I'm going to rinse it. I'm just going to keep the pressure on the water down low. But maybe reach for a roll of paper towel. Go to your ah, big box store, idea. your BJ's, your Sam's Club, and get a huge mm-hmm. a packet of paper towel and then just unstring Wipe them and around. then put yeah. them all over. I mean, that's what. So I remember the first time you said. Don't, you know, whatever you, if you can possibly resist from rinsing, Mm -hmm. because I used to rinse chicken all the time. And then I said, well, what's the next best thing? Well, I'll take these paper towels because when I pull a steak 
out of some type of a cryovac or a brisket mm-hmm. or a pork butt, I don't rinse those for whatever reason. I, <laughs> I'm drawn to rinse the chicken or the turkey, but I'm not mm-hmm. drawn to rinse the, every other barbecue meat for whatever reason. It's like, why do people not eat horse, but they eat everything else on the farm? Same thing applies here with this. So I, well, I, I put, all your listeners eat horse by now. Oh, well, illegally, of course. So uh, I put the paper towels on. I dab, dab, dab. I mean, you could do the same thing with turkey, right? Why not? That sounds like a great solution. Yeah. Meathead from AmazingRibs.com is joining us here. Uh, if somebody wanted to find that huge book-like turkey article, do they just search turkey, or how would they find it quickly? You could. Go to AmazingRibs.com, search turkey, but we have a link to it right on the front page, on the home page, right near the top. Ask me what I'm eating. Meathead, what are you eating? <laughs> I took a bunch of sweet peppers from the garden. This is a, a, a variety called Carmen. Long, slender shape, about four or five inches. Sounds like a Carmen and, I know. And I dried them in the smoker. But I didn't dry them all the way. They're like fruit leathers. Hmm. They are so sweet. This is such... I, I wish I could share this taste with you guys. It's like sweet red pepper, smoked sweet red pepper candy. I've never, I've never heard of Carmen before. It's a variety that my wife discovered. I think it's a one of these heritage Italian varieties. Mm-hmm. But it's you know it's about four or five inches long. It's got a wide shoulder and a narrow point. Um, um, and we use it a lot. It's it's got it gets red in my garden here in Illinois, and it's really hard to get bell peppers red in this far north. Um, and it's not really thick, but it's not thin. It's a variety if you can find it. I really like it. I really recommend it. And it and if you dry it without smoking it, it makes really great paprika. You can grind it, oh. or you can smoke it, and now you have smoked paprika. Um, we use it a lot for a lot of different things. It's fun. All right, we're talking with Meathead from AmazingRibs.com. We're going to go to our first break, and then we're going to talk about the rest of preparation. We'll be talking about rubs. We'll be talking about injections or wet brining, things of this nature, and also some side dishes like, for instance, stuffing, because everybody loves stuffing. It is Meathead Goldwyn from AmazingRibs.com. Let me quickly talk to you about Big Pop Smokers, the one-stop online shop. For all things to fit your barbecue needs. Of course, we all know about their championship rubs and seasonings, popular flavors like Sweet Money, Cattle Prod, Cash Cow. All proven winners on the competition circuit and in the backyard. They offer 13 perfectly balanced flavors to transform ordinary meals into extraordinary. Looking to improve those competition recipes? How about Big Papa Smokers combining forces with Simply Marvelous Barbecue to offer that West Coast offense? Been doing very well in the competition scene. Of course, they do own that award-winning Granny's Barbecue Sauce as well. So if you're looking for a new go-to sauce that will please everyone, Granny's traditional yet powerful flavor reminds us why we fell in love with barbecue in the first place. You can find Granny's Barbecue Sauce and other top-rated sauces at BigPopSmokers.com. And aside from the premium selection of rubs and sauces, they also offer the best pellet charcoal and wood cookers available on the market today. If you're looking for a versatile smoker that's easy to use, you check out that Mac 2-Star General Pellet Grill. Meathead actually uses the Mac 2-Star General Pellet Grill as well. Big Pop Smokers is the exclusive Mac dealer, and they even offer special packages. If you're not a fan of pellet smokers, that's fine. How about taking a look at the old history Ace BP? That's right. It's the only charcoal smoker that Big Papa trusts on his competition trailer. Now, if you're a backyard barbecue enthusiast like me and you're looking for something 
durable, versatile, that might last forever. The M Grill from Texas is just what you need. They're built like tanks. If you're not sure of what kind of grill you need, you really can't go wrong with anything that's offered at BigPapaSmokers.com. They have something for every kind of budget and backyard cook. It's clear that this is the place to go for all things barbecue. Every product featured on their website, hand-selected, to help you barbecue better. If you have any questions, you can give them a call at 877-828-0727. That's 877-828-0727. Or shop the website, BigPapaSmokers.com. That's B-I-G-P-O-P-P-A Smokers.com. More Meathead coming up. Stick around. We'll be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. Hey, speaking of pellets, the portion of this show is brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all those pellet-driven cookers, Traegers and Green Mountain Grills and Cook Shacks, you name it. You can visit cookinpellets.com to purchase. If you would prefer to purchase from the biggest online retailer, how about amazon.com? They sell them as well. That's right. That's cookinpellets.com. Chris Becker and the gang out there looking for them before the end of the year. But we continue with Meathead from amazingribs.com. Meathead, I read an article in the New York Times. New York Times, yeah. Uh, It said, Brining's out. (laughs) <laughs> and you were actually a part of that article. You were amongst many other prominent names within that that were giving wet brine the boot. So, <laughs> you know, for years and years and ever yeah, since I got into barbecue, it was, uh-huh. man, you got chicken, you got turkey, got to brine it. They were making brining thing. You had like a, a threads in this jug and you spun the top down and submerged everything. They were profiting off of Mm-hmm. wet brining but you're like hey let's get out of this shenanigans altogether. what gives well first of all i'm just going to rewind for 30 seconds and you're right yes i do use a mac two star and right. i got mine from big papa smokers really look at you yeah yeah well, i mean I, sterling ball who owns the company knows a lot about barbecue yeah he's really a cool guy uh, you have him on the show occasionally yes um he is just a, a really impressive fellow and uh, uh, knows a lot. And that M, M grill or whatever, yeah. that's very, very cool. So, wow. all right, back to um, Wet uh, Briny. Kim Severson, who actually won a Pulitzer Prize at the New York Times for her reporting on the um, Me Too movement in the restaurant industry and how um, there are problems with chefs and others in the restaurant business who behave badly. Um, uh, she is a very fine food writer, and she called me up a couple of weeks ago to talk about brining. And if anybody has followed our website, we know that I gave up on wet brining years ago. Yeah. I mean, it just became a pain in the butt, and I learned that the science that salt will penetrate, but all the other stuff, the apple juice, 
the pepper, the garlic. The molecules are too large. They won't penetrate. They'll just settle on the skin. And if you cut open that turkey breast on, th on Thanksgiving dinner, there is no flavor from any of that stuff deep inside the turkey breast. Maybe the tiniest bit on the surface. Now, you might think you're tasting it, but that's because it's on the surface and the knife blade pushes it down sometimes or your teeth, tip, but it, there's no garlic, salt, sugar, apple juice, or anything deep inside that bird. Or because uh, you're the one that put that stuff in there, you mentally want to taste it, so you think you're tasting yes. it. Yeah, yeah, you think you're tasting it. Placebo. Uh, what happens is the salt gets down in there, and the salt messes with the proteins, and it helps convince the protein to hang on to moisture. And that's very important. The other thing is, is salt amplifies flavor. It doesn't alter it as it amplifies it. So you get more turkey flavor, and you don't get more garlic-flavored turkey or whatever else you put on there. It amplifies the natural flavors of foods, and it helps keep the moisture in. So salting meat is really absolutely essential, and you don't need a lot. Um, so I've been an advocate of what we called dry brining, and I don't know for sure, but I think I'm the one that coined the term dry brining. I didn't invent it. As near as I can tell, Judy Rogers uh, from the Zuni Cafe in San Francisco was the first to really push it, and then Russ Parsons from the LA Times got behind it, Kenji Lopez-Alt and I did, and a bunch of others. And now there's a movement towards dry brining, which I'm pleased to say I've been with for some time. And yes, Kim quoted me at length in the article, and if you click Here's a Recipe, it's one of my recipes That's that right. she featured. So that was very cool. Um, and I and as a result, I just got a call today from the Washington Post that wants to talk about who the same Jim subject. Shaheen. Does he want to interview you, Jim Shaheen? No, this is someone else. This is uh, Tamara Haspel, who writes about science for the Post, really? um, and she's also a fine cook. So, um, but Jim's great. I, I know Jim very well, and he really knows barbecue well, and he's a good barbecue writer. Um, so um, I think the trend of getting a uh, five-gallon beer cooler and filling it with three gallons of apple cider and two cups of salt and a bunch of sugar and a bottle of garlic and all that stuff hopefully is on its way out because it doesn't work the way you think it works. It's like beer can chicken. It doesn't work the way you think it works. Hey, did you hear my podcast with Michael Simon that I did? No, I just heard you talking about it. I'm going to go back and listen to you. You finally cracked the Michael Simon wall. Yeah, through the help of my Pittsburgh brother, Doug Durda, who was in the Pittsburgh International Airport and saw one of his properties in the terminal. He took a picture of it, tweeted it to both me and Michael Simon and said, hey, Greg, here's your buddy's place or whatever. And I said, I think I like him more than he likes me. Well, then within a matter of minutes, Michael Simon is tweeting back at me, no, I like you. And then I tweeted back, hey, let's do this interview thing, and then he said, all right, come by November 6th at Mabel's. I'll be in town. We'll do the interview. Lo and behold, we did it. Wow. Just, we did it in person, not even Good on the phone. You. I got to see him face-to-face. -face. Good for you. Yeah. He knows a lot about cooking. Well, let me tell you uh, something, Meathead, and this is the point of the thing. I don't want to get off track because we're swiftly losing time. I said to him in the lightning round, uh, spatchcock or beer can, and he said, beer can. Beer can. 
Not even yeah. kidding. Yeah. And I said, you know that's dangerous, right? And he said, well, I'm still here sitting across from you, aren't I? And I couldn't argue. Well, it's not that dangerous. It just doesn't work the way you think it does. Right. The beer has nothing. Just that, you know, look, at one of the problems that we have is that formally trained chefs are learning how to cook from other formally trained chefs, and they're learning with methods that have been handed down from generation to generation. The same way I learned to barbecue. I would learn from my dad, who learned from his dad, who learned from his dad. But there's this whole generation of cooks, like Kenji Lopez-Alt, like Christopher Kimball, like Russ Parsons. Um, Our godfather is uh, Harold McGee. Alton Brown is another one all of whom actually stop and ask about why, not just how, but why. And we begin to realize that things don't operate the way everybody thinks they do. And beer can chicken is one of those, and wet brining is another. There's science that can prove why things work and why things don't. All right, question from a friend of mine named Jason. He's a fan of the show. He wants to know best type of rub to use with turkey is it going to be more sweet should you go herb heavy because you might be using some smoke what do you think is the best way to go i think a really very personal preference but for me poultry i like i like herb based i mean there your classic poultry season is an herb base i have a formula that i posted on our website that's been very popular called Simon and Garfunkel because it's got parsley and sage and rosemary and thyme and garlic and a few other good stuff in there. And it works really well on turkey and chicken. I've even done it on pork, on white meats. Um, You might try that. Um, uh, And, of course, don't forget salt. None of my rubs have salt in them because you want to control the salt separately from the spices. The spices sit on the surface. The salt goes deep. So you use them differently. You need more salt on a pork butt or a turkey than you do on a slab of ribs or a chicken. But for the surface area, you need the same amount of rub for all of them. So we apply salt separately. But I'm a fan of um, uh, the herb rub, herb-based rubs. All right, let's talk about cooking a whole bird, as in not spatchcocking or not parting it out, versus spatchcocking or parting it out. Cooking whole animals is always fraught with hazard, whether it's a whole chicken, a whole turkey, or a whole hog. Think about a whole hog for a moment. Um, you've got the pork loin which is best at about 140, 135. But you've got a pork shoulder that you need to bring up to a minimum of 190. 203 is a target for a lot of us. Uh, Hams, which need to be heated way beyond um, a pork loin. Then there's a tenderloin. So if you cook a whole hog, you're either going to undercook the shoulders and hams or overcook the loins and the tenderloins and, and, and some of the other cuts. Same thing with a turkey. Your breast meat seems to be best, ideally, at around 160. Um, I mean, it actually is a little better at 155, but you're getting down into bacterial risk country. So 160 to 165, don't push it beyond um, because you can really go quickly from tender and juicy to cardboard. But dark meat, the thighs and the drumstick, 
tend to be best at 170 to 175. So if you cook the whole bird, it's really hard to control them. Ideally, you break the bird up. You quarter it so you have the breasts and then the legs, and you cook them at their, at their own speed. You temp each section individually, and you pull them off an ideal temp. Um, you can get closer with spatchcocking. With spatchcocking or when you break them up, you do have the advantage of browning the interior. When you cook a whole bird, Norman Rockwell style, you have the cavity, which never browns. And brown is beautiful. Brown is the Maillard reaction. Brown is character. It's flavor. Right. And the whole interior never gets brown. If you spatchcock, you can brown the interior. And if you break it up, up into parts, you can brown the interior. It also cooks faster. And that means less moisture lost. So um, spatchcocking or, or quartering it is, is, is going to give you a better bird. But you always run into this, you know, there's Aunt Martha who wants to see the whole turkey on the table. What I have done successfully, and you can try this, is I've spatchcocked the bird and then folded it back up and faked it to look like a whole turkey, made the presentation at the table, and then brought it back out. And by the way, it's a lot easier to carve a spatchcock bird than a whole bird. Totally agree. Meathead, I would never accommodate somebody's visual want, ever. You come to my house, you're going to get that bird the way I cook it, or shut up and get out. Uh, Well, visual is pretty. Let's quit. I mean, I, I would contend or argue that a spatchcock bird is actually a better presentation than a whole it bird. It is cool. A different, uh, different argument for a different day. Stuffing or stuffing muffins, because I know you're a uh, big well, stuffing muffin. I think, guy. again, I'm the one that coined the term stuffing muffins, but I didn't invent the concept. I, don't, I think I popularized sure. it. Sure. But... If you if I mean you don't want to stuff the bird because now you've made it into a big bowling ball, mm-hmm. and by the time the heat penetrates all the way to the center, you've overcooked the exterior of the meat. It's dried out, so you want to do the spatchcock or at least the whole bird or break. But I mean, frankly, I think I prefer the stuffing many times to the bird. Uh, I mean, I can I can pack that stuffing away. A lot of people bake it in a in a dish, and you know, in a baking pan yes. or a baking dish, which is great. You get that nice crusty stuff on the top and the corners in particular. You get it nice and crunchy. Um, if you use a muffin pan, you can make individual portions, and in a big muffin pan. You know, like you would make um, uh, cupcakes. Right. Um, you can make individual portions that are just about the right size, and you can butter the pan, and you can get a nice crispy dome, just like your um, uh, 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 cupcake. Like top, yeah. Yeah, and a muffin, and 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 it really is great. It looks cool sitting on the plate. You got to use a slightly different formula. I have a recipe for. You, you need a little more egg in there to make it hold together, mm. um, a couple other things. So I've got the formula for stuffing muffins on AmazingRibs.com. Gravy in the drip pan. Okay, this is another thing that I've been preaching for years. Never put a bird into a roasting pan. Right. They have these V-shaped racks, and you got this big, tall-sided roasting pan. And what happens is, is there's liquid down at the bottom of the pan, and that liquid never gets above 212. So no matter what the air temperature is in that oven or in your smoker, the meat down by the water in the roasting pan is never going to get above 250, 275. So you're cooking at 325, 350 up here, 
and down below it's 250, 275. And that's why the bottom of the bird is always tan and soggy. You want to lift the bird up, and this is why cooking turkey on a grill is absolutely the best way, because you put the meat right on the grill grate, and then under the grill grate, you put a pan, and that's your drip pan, and you catch all your drippings, and you you prime that pan with, if you wish, a little chicken stock or mm. some wine or some beer, and you throw carrots and celery and herbs and spices and onions and apples and uh, chop all that stuff up, throw it in that pan, and you now make an incredibly rich stock with the smoky drippings from the bird mm. in there. You throw the wing tips in there. You throw the uh, the backbone if you've uh, spatchcocked. Um, you cut off the tail and the flaps of skin that are floating around, um, the neck. Uh, everything except the liver goes in there. Um, and you you can make this wonderful stuff, and you end up with a, at least a quart of fantastic stock. You don't have to thicken it either. It's so rich, and it penetrates when it's liquid like this. You don't need to put flour in it, and you'll never use a whole quart, which means tomorrow you have this wonderful turkey soup, right. turkey stock, which I drink by the cup. I just throw it in the microwave, heat up, and drink it by the cup. It's delicious. Or you can use it as a base for your turkey pot pie. Last question before I let you go this evening, uh, just for a couple minutes. Uh, 325, not 225 is your yeah. temperature recommendation. Why is that? Um, just, just for you crispy? Want crispy skin. Yeah. And it's hard to get crispy skin down. I know 225 seems to be what all us low and slow guys target is our um, temperature. Right. It's a great number for most low and slow. But if you want to get crispy skin, you got to jack her up to around 325, and you'll get crispy skin. And uh, um, I know a lot of gas smokers don't get that high. So if you've got a gas smoker, crank it up to as high as you can get, 275, and then pull it off and throw it on your gas grill for just a few minutes and crisp that skin at a higher temp. Uh, yes or no, uh, yeah. Meathead, would you fill the turkey cavity with onions and apples? Is that going to affect any flavors or, or give you any no. benefit? No. It just doesn't put out enough flavor compounds. Mm -hmm. You want onion flavor, use onion powder in there. It's not, the, uh, the New York Times, the lady who wrote the recipe took a little liberty, and she put carrots and onion in there. I would never do that. Um, even though she called it my recipe, she took some liberty. She's inspired by me. To, um, uh, um, it just blocks airflow. You can't get air inside. And that's the same as stuffing the bird. You don't want to do that. You want air to get in there. If you have any questions, if you're looking for recipes, if you're looking for the science of anything that we've talked about here this evening, you head right over to AmazingRibs.com. Do a simple search, and away you go. Info at your fingertips for as long as you can see. The second Tuesday of every month, you find Meathead from AmazingRibs.com right here. Meathead, I wish you and yours a proper and happy Thanksgiving, and we will look for you next month. And here's to you and all the Centralites. Greg, I don't know how many years we've been doing this, but it's so much fun. Thank you, Meathead. There he is. Take care, everybody. My friend and your friend, Meathead Ooh. from AmazingRibs.com. All guests appear via the Trader Bills online. If you have any mm -hmm. questions about Yummy. what we've talked about this evening, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Hit the website, AmazingRibs.com.
Hey, let me talk to you quickly about Green Mountain Grills. I was actually just on the phone with Jason Baker a couple days ago wondering, where has he been? We need to get an update. What's going on with the cookers? All this stuff. Well, we got caught up off air, and we are quickly looking for an open date to get him back on. He was actually in China going over some QC, ensuring QC, also some other stuff that I can't talk about until he comes on. So we are in the process of picking a great date. In the meantime, if you're looking for a great pellet cooker to help you step up that pellet game, the Green Mountain Grill brand and models are the ones you want to take a look at. Jim Bowie, biggest one. I was just on Facebook the other day. Somebody was going back and forth between Daniel Boone and Jim Bowie. For 200 bucks more, I said, hey, you're never going to regret spending the extra 200 bucks and having the space. Even if you only use it three times, it's three times more that you could have used it than the Daniel Boone because the Daniel Boone is physically smaller. It actually makes a less amount of food. Now, if you know you're only going to use Daniel Boone size and you're never going to need anything bigger, then save the 200 bucks or use that 200 bucks to buy the pizza oven insert. Now, if you are in the midst of tailgating or you're somebody who likes to travel all the time and you want something a little bit more portable and has that wood-fired pellet taste, the Daniel or the Davy Crockett is the one you're going to want to take a look at. Plus, if you don't have access to a traditional power outlet and you have that 12-volt in your car, all you have to do is stick that adapter in there and you're off and running. By the way, capacity is absolutely fantastic considering the portability. So you're not sacrificing capacity, if you will, because you're allowed to take it with you. And by the way, it fits in most trucks, vans, and SUVs, or all trucks, vans, and SUVs, unless you're riding a smart car. Even then, I would probably make an argument. It could fit in the back of a smart car. Here's what you do. You go to GreenMountainGrills.com. That's GreenMountainGrills.com. Check out what they have to offer, and then stay on the lookout as we look to schedule Jason Baker here on the Barbecue Central Show sooner than later. All right, we'll come back to wrap the first hour. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show right here on the Barbecue Central Network. Stick around. Be right back. Big name interviews, advice on cooking brisket and ribs, and the only host willing to share his honest opinion on all things important in the world of barbecue. It's the Barbecue Central Show. All right, welcome back, and thanks again to Meathead from AmazingRibs.com. Always enjoy the conversation with Meathead. Again, if you have any questions as it relates to any of the turkey stuff that we talked about, the recipe for stuffing muffins. I bet he's even got some type of a cranberry sauce. I see one of the four moderators over in the YouTube chat, Spinnaker's in there. Spinnaker, does he have a cranberry or a fresh cranberry remoulade available? Is that is remoulade right, by the way? I don't know if remoulade is the correct term, but you know what I mean. Cranberry sauce. Fresh cranberry sauce. That's what I want to know. For me, while I can appreciate a good fresh cranberry anything, when it comes to cranberries, I want that 12-ounce fruit can where you like, and it's like a tube of cranberry-colored cranberries and it's got the can divots in it that's real cranberry to me buddy that's when you know it's thanksgiving cut you a nice 
brown slice of cranberry. It's my favorite. That's my favorite. <laughs> well, I didn't get to do the lightning round with Meathead. Because as always, we get lost in talk. Anyway, we're going to recharge here for the second hour, so I would ask that you get yourself a new libation. Refresh as you are hoping. And when we come back, you have to look forward to the cooking guy, Sam Zion. We'll also recap the World Food Championship winners. Winners. Winners? Among some other things you want to call in, happy to have you at the top. 216-220-0966. Email as always. Greg at the BBQ Central Show.com. Stick around, be right back.